we were actually planning on integrating the features that we built on Object a bit into the, the HEN platform mm. or HEN ecosystem. But we found that to be difficult and, and, and we figured it's, it's actually much, much simpler to, to build our own. And, and that's where also our ambitions grew to building something even more powerful and even more open than just the one token. And, and that's how we you know, built the marketplace that it is today. Today's guests are the founding team of Object, that's OBJKT.com, the largest Tezos NFT marketplace. As you all likely know, I don't have NFT laser eyes, meaning I currently own NFTs on Ethereum, Tezos, Solana, and Avalanche. So why Tezos? In my mind, if you take PFPs and gaming NFTs out of the equation and are just looking for any artist minting on a green chain, there is no bigger chain than Tezos and Object as the marketplace on Tezos. Now, it's important to mention that Hen, of course, was the first NFT marketplace on Tezos and really should get a lot of the credit for attracting the amazing talent on Tezos today. But they've had many stumbles and Object has emerged as the dominant platform that also gives you the ability to search and buy from Hen. You can think of Object as the OpenSea for Tezos, meaning OpenSea allows you to browse the many different Ethereum-based platforms all in one interface. Object operates in the same way, but for Tezos. Now, I'm a huge fan of the artists that are on Tezos, and I'm just going to name a few, but they're artists such as John with all the J's, HeartU, Mike Shinoda, Lucrece, Nicholas Sassoon, Chris Reed, What is Real, PixelFool, and Thomas Lynn Pedersen, just to name a few. Now, aside from being green, Tezos NFTs are oftentimes more affordable. And I believe there is a lot of gold in these hills. It's why I collect Tezos NFTs. And Object is my default interface for finding the next big thing. All right, let's talk to the founders of Object. All right, so I am thrilled to have the Object team here on the show today. I've been a huge fan from the outside. And so it's going to be so great to dig into what you all are building I think a great place to start would just be the, a round of introductions because we have all three of you on the call today. Brian, did you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm Brian, one of the three co-founders. We're all technical in background, so I'm a software engineer or used to be a software engineer. Yeah, I'm Victor. I'm also a software engineer and, and I randomly met Brian and Timothy over Twitter. Crazy. And that was like to start this project together? Yep. That's amazing. Timothy, do you go by Timothy or Tim? Uh, usually Tim or, or even Timmy. I don't really mind. Yeah, so so I'm also one of the co-founders. We're all technical. You know, I worked as a software engineer. I worked in blockchain as a blockchain developer before this. I also happen to be Brian's brother. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk about Object. I mean, I've been using you all as a tool since Tezos really appeared on on my radar, not in terms of a, a chain, because obviously it's been around for quite some time. But it was clear to me that last year, something very special was happening. And, and kind of the Hen ecosystem was the first thing that I discovered and and realized that the UI was a bit lacking, <laughs> you know, it was very utilitarian and it was breaking all the time. And someone was like, oh, you have to try object. And like, it's, the, it's a better way to browse through this stuff. And so would love to just like start at the very beginning. Like, why did you create object? What was the initial functionality that you hope to accomplish with the project? And, and then maybe we can uh, come up to speed on where you are today. Yeah, so it all started, I think it was on the 15th or 16th of June or something last year, where Tim and I, we went out for a walk as we had done so uh, several times that, that uh, month. I just talked about, really, about uh, Hen, about NFTs. I mean, it was all, I think uh, for Tim, it wasn't as new as it was for me, but he sort of uh, brought me into it all, into the Hen ecosystem, uh, I think it was in May uh, or maybe a bit earlier. And I was just very excited to have that new sort of platform come up and see all that that art on that platform uh, was 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 really like, and also you know the 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 fact that the platform was quite hard to use. I mean, I I remember going onto it and and having to figure out how do I actually list uh, a token, how do I uh, put one up for sale? I, I wasn't the terminology like the swap uh, was not something that I was familiar with. So, so we went on to that walk and, and we were talking about it and we, we, we were like, what can we 
improve there or what what else you know because we we, we figured that it's like it's missing something there's still still a lot of room for improvement so one thing that we were talking about is is the offers so having a system where you can you know place offers on tokens that's something right. that we really missed and the other thing was auctions so offers and auctions were the two things that we thought were really preventing hen from from going to the next level in terms of of of, of the size of the of the, of the market and we we set out that day actually to build a prototype and we didn't uh, build the auction system yet but we built the offer system within a day and mm. then then launched that on uh, on Twitter and it uh, was fairly successful so we were quite surprised how many people actually started using using this site and it was called object.bid so people started using object.bid to place bids or offers on on hand tokens mm. and uh yeah, it was quite popular. So we we and then we took it from there. For for those that aren't familiar with with what Han is, would you say that it is a kind of a minting and marketplace or kind of marketplace for an open standard of NFTs? Like, how do you interface with with Han? So Han, I, I think I would say Han is a community, not just a marketplace or an NFT standard. I think it's much more than that. But Han has built this uh, marketplace, actually one of the first marketplaces for NFTs on Tezos, where you can mint tokens and put them up for sale. Yeah, so that's how I would probably define it. And then when you think of the these minting of tokens, is that complying to any particular standard or how do you view and read those tokens off the blockchain? So the, the standard on Tezos is called FA 1.2 or FA 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the two token standards. To give more details, I think Tim would be the right person to speak about that. But yeah, Hen, Hen uses one of those standards, the FA 2 token standard. And uh, we read that off the chain. So we have an indexer that can read the chain and that indexes those tokens and we display those tokens. So anybody can display those tokens when if they have an indexer or if they can connect to an API of an indexer. Gotcha. And then I noticed on, on Object, you have these different collections and they're all the big artists that are on HIN, but then also you group the entire HIN ecosystem as a single collection. Can you, can you explain that, that logic a little bit there? I mean, the logic is really a technical thing because we group everything by contracts. So every mm-hmm. single token contract is a collection on our on our page. Uh, so therefore, the, the the whole hen or all hen tokens are within the same collection. I see. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So because they were minted using the hen contract, they are grouped together as a collection under hen. Um, exactly. Okay. And so we'll like, for example, when you think of like some of the more popular projects that we've seen on Tezos, like Tezards or Neons or Monsters or Ziggurats, those are not using that HIN contract to mint. Did they, did they come through Object? Uh, they use their own contract. So we were actually involved in, in some of those projects. One of, some of the first on Tezos to create these uh, PFP NFT drops. And they mm-hmm. are they, they all live on their own contracts. So they are bespoke contracts, FA2 contracts that, that live on the chain. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. So what, what's the current state of when I think about using object day to day, I use it for it, it. To me, it seems like the cleanest and easiest way to browse what's going on. Um, you know, if I want just to jump into someone's wallet and see what they're up to or an artist and see what they've created. Um, and it's loading a lot faster than, say, some of the hands or the hand kind of clones that are out there. Is that just to the to the fact that you're actually caching and, and having local copies of all the imagery versus relying on IPFS to serve those up? I, I would say that's only part of it. It's it's a big part in in making a web page uh, load faster, obviously, to have a copy of the images and serving them from from a CDN near to the user. But another part is definitely the the indexer and the API serving the indexer and doing some magic in there. Very cool. Yeah, it seems to be that that was one of the big problems of some of the other sites that I've seen out there is just the speed has been an issue. Would you say that's that's pretty pretty common and one of the things that you were trying to address? Yeah, it is, and and that's basically how I first got involved in uh, in Han uh, after I joined. Um, so at the beginning, uh, Han was loading all the data directly from the blockchain, which was making the the UI slow and unstable. 
And then I, I built an indexer to, to show that it could be uh, used to make a website like Han much more stable and faster. And uh, then that's how I then moved on and, and did the same, but for objects and learning a lot through the process, obviously. And we, we keep um, building new things in this direction and, and building a great infrastructure on top of which we build on objects. Yeah. One of the things I'd love to touch on briefly, I I don't want to really come in and and trash anyone's service, but I'm curious, like when it comes to HIN and all the issues it's had technically and with it kind of falling over and a a bunch of the functionality kind of lacking, would you say that was just because it was kind of a one person show? Was that the, because I know it was open source, but it wasn't one main primary contributor. Is that what led a lot of these other tools to pop up as they said, okay, we want to go build something and there's a whole slew of, of other tools that are out there. Is it just that that project never really scaled from a contribution standpoint from outside contributors? Yeah. I mean, I would say that's one of the main reasons why we exist because we were actually planning on integrating the features that we built on object a bit into the, the hen platform mm. or hen ecosystem but we find that to be difficult and 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 we figured it's it's actually much much simpler to to build our own and and that's where also our ambitions grew to building something even more powerful and even more open than just the one token and and that's how we you know built the marketplace that it is today yeah that's great. Well, it's it's been a, a fantastic marketplace. I know that most people that I talk to in the in the Tezos space now that are in the NFT world, I mean they they are kind of referring back to you all as their place to show people their profiles and to and and a place to to mint as well. What kind of features and functionality have you added since those very early days? Product wise, was what's launched in the last couple of months? I think the big thing that launched in the last couple of months has been the the, the minting. So you can now mint your your tokens on object, and we wanted to differentiate ourselves a bit there from what has been done or had been done on hand before with the open collection. So we allow artists or creators to mint into their own collections, which means that a smart contract will be spawned on the chain for them to mint into. So that's really the the big difference and the the big feature that we launched. We 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 had a lot of other small features that we launched, like the notifications, and that are still very much a work in progress. But that's the main one. So, what's the advantage of of actually spinning up their own contract versus just doing it out of out of one main contract? I think the advantage is mainly uh, one of provenance. So you you can sort of you can group your your creations on chain into the same sort of contract. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's the main benefit. And also then once these collections are indexed or these tokens are indexed by other marketplaces or other apps, they can be grouped very easily. I mean, it's basically what you were saying with the, the HIN collection, right? Because in some sense, everything that was minted on HIN will always show up under that main contract on your site versus it being a standalone entity. That's right? Yeah, exactly. So we, I mean, obviously we could group things on a, on a higher level, but the problem there is we would have to do that for everybody on a bespoke basis, and and that just doesn't scale, right? Right. Yeah, that's very cool. You you mentioned notifications and and bidding, and and one of the things that I've noticed is when I'm signed in uh, and I sit there and I let the the browser just exist, I, I will get you know bids on on various pieces that I own, and you can see them popping up as as little modals on the side of my screen. I feel that notifications in general has been pretty much a, a big issue. Like there's been stuff that I've tried to bid on in the past where I just can't get a hold of the user that owns it, right? Like they're not getting any notice that I've even placed what I would consider to be a pretty big, good bid, hopefully. And h- how do you all plan on addressing that? So one thing we're looking to do uh, is implement push notifications so that you can actually, or that you actually a notification on your device natively that says you've received an offer or your offer has been accepted or whatever. Mm. So that's one thing. And the other thing is also going down the email route. So in the future, hopefully we will, or soon we will have the possibility to add your email address and, and to receive notifications there as well. That's great. I think one of the big things we need to address as well is, you know, the clutter of notifications. A lot of big collectors or or big artists are overrun by notifications, essentially. So we'll need to make 
I'm sure that we filter out the ones that are most important or at least have more capabilities for, for users to filter uh, the way they want to. So definitely a lot to work on there as well. Yeah, that's been tricky, you know, even on the in the Ethereum ecosystem when on OpenSea, I have to set thresholds for, you know, notifications because, you know, you'll just get all of these random lowball bids and it'll just like clutter your inbox, right? Otherwise. So I can imagine like getting that that tooling right for for setting the the proper thresholds for notifications is going to be key for you all. Absolutely, yeah. How do you think about file storage when you think about NFTs? Is it 100% IPFS? Are there other ways to store or like Arweave and some of the others? What, what are you looking at there? I mean, right now, we, we have all our data on IPFS. I think yeah, there's, there's certain issues with, in, in regards to longevity of that data. I think the good thing is, is that you can, you know, IPFS, if, if you run your own node, there's more or less a guarantee that you can, can sustain that that data. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, we, we have a lot to look into there as well. Is that something where you're, you're actively going out in, cause I know the, the big scare there is when Hin went down, people are like, okay, are these, is this NFT data, data going to just disappear? And is it something where I, I believe you all stepped in and, and pin, pin that data on IPFS is where did you start hosting that as well? Yes. Yeah, so, so we, we, we've, Actually, we've been doing that, or we had been doing that even before Hen went down. But especially since Hen went down, we started looking into that even more and making sure that these systems are are very robust. So we do pin all the tokens that we have, and, and we try to, uh, and we will continue to do so uh, as long as we we operate. Yeah, that, so that's the, that's the goal. That's great. Yeah, I love that. It was nice to see the community step up there. It's like I feel like everyone was rushing to make sure that. In in it's funny. In some sense, I don't know if you all agree with this, but like, there's been a lot of ch- chatter lately about this idea that Web three is not really decentralized, and there's there's this this there's these gatekeepers, and they have these APIs, and they're centralized servers, they're serving out the images. But I I, I kind of don't think that's the point. The point is that it's it's there and backed up and decentralized if you need it, right? Like it's it's like you all right now with object can be performant. You can serve images really fast. You can use CDNs. You can do all the things that you need to do. But if you were to go away, all the important data is being stored in a decentralized fashion so that someone else can fire up another version and get this up and running like with him within 24 hours or something like that. It was, it was relatively quickly. Is, is that kind of your take on the, the de- decentralization side of, of this? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So the, the same way, even before Hen went down, other frontends were created to let you browse the Hen collection or collect things such, and head, such as Hen Next, Hick, and also Object. The same thing could happen even without Object going down. Anyone could just leverage the contracts that we create and that store the tokens and the metadata that are stored in there to make an alternative front-end for it. So the decentralized part is twofold. One part is the contracts, because anyone can interact with the contracts. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to be there. We don't have uh, special keys in the front-end. And the other part being the files on IPFS. And, and on this front, we are doing everything we can to, to make sure that these files stay there and don't get garbage collected. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm curious when you think about the types of media that you will support on the minting side. I've seen generative platforms like FX Hash and and obviously Artblocks on the Ethereum side. There's now Braindrops and and this is also on Ethereum, but it's more on the AI related different types of AI related art coming on on platform. Is this something that that Object will eventually support? Is like, do will you ever have a tool for? generative artists to publish through you or will you just allow third parties to kind of fill that space that's a very good question and and actually we we had been working on on a platform to allow for generative art very similar to what fxash did or has been doing and and because of that we 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 stopped to go more or deeper into that so we we're still waiting on to see this unfold really and to to see how how the generative of of, of art the way FXash has been doing it is going to evolve and and we're happy but or we're looking at ourselves now more as a an aggregator of such 
mm-hmm. projects and 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 a way to to do maybe secondary sales on such such tokens uh, mm-hmm. rather than to to maybe innovate on a on a single front. But we're definitely still. I mean, we're still working together with artists, and and we're still exploring other territories that are very interesting to us. But I think FXH did a very good job there. Yeah. That's great. I'm curious, what does it look like when you look at the data behind the scenes and you're looking at how many NFTs are being written and published per day? Like, How is that scaling? I I saw something recently that said that was talking about Ethereum gas prices and they are just ridiculous, right? But in some sense, they are high. There's a high barrier to public, not so much on Polygon and some of the layer twos, obviously, but on the main chain itself, if you want to publish something, like you have to be pretty certain that you're going to either sell it or that it's going to have some type of value because of just the, the cost to publish, right? On other platforms, Solana, others, where it's a fraction of a cent to put anything on chain, that could, in theory, lead to just art spam and 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 just to have there just be more more forgeries and, and just issues with people not having any barrier to entry, so everything gets written to the chain. What are your thoughts on 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 that? In that Tezos is relatively inexpensive to to publish new things, and and also around just just artists' discovery as well. Is that something that you want to put more of an editorial curation on top of, so that you can highlight some of the best artists? Is it always going to be just kind of a word of mouth thing? Will it eventually be driven by algorithms like you own this, so you might also like this? How do you all think about that? I think it will be a combination of things, and and we're still not one hundred percent sure how we're in the long in the long term. But we're we're exploring, we're starting to explore now what what the options are. And of course, we have been we we had a human curation uh, for discovery so far. So we have like a curator Umblin who's doing a fantastic job curating the start page, and we will continue to do that, and we will continue to expand on that. But we're also looking into more ways to. To discover art and 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 that that obviously goes into maybe uh, a little bit more into the algorithmic side or algorithm side of things. But we also what we're planning to do is to have a feed where you can you know discover the art that your your the 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 artists you follow create. And what else? That's very cool. So that would explain why you have the following functionality. I was always wondering that I hadn't used that yet. So does that exist? I know this that people were following me on object, but I didn't think about why I might want to follow others. Is there a feed today if I start following other people? There is no feed right now. Uh, that's still a work in progress. We've been working on it for a while now. Okay. <clears throat> because there's there's a lot to be to be. I mean, we we had a lot of ideas, and I think we wanted to pack in too many, and and we should have probably just released a sort of a POC. Uh, but yeah, that that's definitely coming. That's something we've been working on for a while, but unfortunately, it's not there right now. Well, I mean, given all that you've done in less than a year, I think you've done quite a good job at shipping product. It's uh, you have a lot of functionality for such a such a young company. I would say the primary function of the the follow feature was driven by users and what they wanted: get a notification when an artist they like means something. Mm. So that's the that's the first uh, driver for this feature. But then, obviously, it opens the the field for uh, using this follow following data. To create a customized feed, and when we talk ad- about algorithmic curation, it's something that that works really well uh, in some fields. For instance, if you have a marketplace for clothes, then it's fine to uh, see other types of jeans that you might like. For art, where things are can be very different and and unexpected. It's making things much harder to get right. You want to expose users to um, arts that they don't expect. I doubt anyone would only enjoy pixel art or photography, for instance. So uh, feeding them what they already purchased or uh, already bookmarked can be a bit tricky. But there are ways to do that properly. It's just it's just quite hard to get right. Yeah. I, I could see that there's, there is, I think from a, from a, like you, you bought this, you might like this, that I could see that would be difficult. But at the same time, the one thing that I am certain of is there are certain individuals that if they buy something, I don't care whether it pertains to me or whether I like it or not. It's like, I, I'm just curious, right? Like if X copy comes in and buys something on him, 
like I want to I want to see or object I want to see what that is right because it's it's x copy so there's there's something about these really influential either collectors or artists that if they are are somehow interacting placing a bid on something or or buying something that 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 would be of interest to me it sounds like you you kind of can just do that without algorithms obviously just with a follow functionality right yeah definitely and i i totally get what you're what you are saying and and again to to take the analogy of clothes you you wouldn't ask uh, yourself why did you buy this pair of sneakers why do you like them but then if you see someone that you admire collecting something you might ask, ask yourself why do they find this interesting and 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 dig a bit deeper into either the artist or the art itself or the history behind a particular piece and i think that that's much more interesting than just feeding what people already enjoy yeah when you say the history behind, uh, behind a particular piece what role do you think that social has to play in all of this? And meaning that if I'm browsing through and I, I'm on a Tezzards and there, there's a one very interesting Tezzard that I want to leave a comment on or have some commentary on, is that just like too much of a slippery slope and it opens up comment systems and it seems so web too, right? It's like just to like allow anyone to come in. But how do you encourage discussion around these pieces? Have you all thought of that, about that at all? Yeah, discussion is already happening a lot on Twitter, obviously. Discord is the other place to be if you find a server. So just let it happen there. Like no need to have that happen on your site. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying it it's a bad idea to add comments to something like this, but that's not our current focus and I I don't see us adding comments anytime soon. As you mentioned, it's kind of web2 and then it comes with a bunch of challenges regarding yeah. uh, content moderation and all that. So in the end, will object become the Facebook of NFTs? Definitely not. That's not something we're interested in. I would add there, I agree with that. And I think, but one interesting thing is to sort of research that topic a bit, because I think as, as Kevin said, it's interesting to have maybe comments on art in a certain way, but not we don't want to make it the Facebook where you just where you just have comment spam. Of course not. But to do that sort of research is definitely something we're we're looking into, whether it's comments or maybe other features as well. Yeah, and comments in the sense of how a gallerist would something about a piece mm. they are showing, or like what the magazine would do uh, when talking about a particular artist and the history behind their pieces. All of this is a bit. Um, around this topic and it could add a lot of value. Yeah, it would be interesting to think about how you can service discussion on other networks around pieces. Like I'm looking at neons right now, which I think are just absolutely stunning. And I'm a real bummed. I never bought one, but I need to make that happen today. And it'd be interesting to see if there's other top collectors that are mentioning this on Twitter or what are the most active discords that are that are around this particular community. Although that would probably be just being their, their primary discord. There's kind of no way to get visibility into other discord and conversation there. But yeah, it's interesting to think about it. how can I learn i guess i would just jump directly into their discord to, to learn more but yeah it's uh it, it, i like the fact that you all have kept it clean <laughs> it's it's easy to add features and functionality and, and it seems like the approach that you've taken is just like a really beautiful simple layout that i, I think is the, some of the best i've seen by the way who did the design for for the site I wouldn't call it a design. I, I just sort of, you know, implemented it uh, on the go. <laughs> but yeah, what that was me. It's. I mean, it's it's very well thought out in terms of just like it being usable and just all the data is where I, I'd expect it to be. And yeah, it make, makes a lot of sense. Bravo. Nice, nicely done. Do you all watch kind of, is there a way within Object to see, I noticed you have the trending that's kind of on the, on the, or the hot collections that's, that's on the front page. Is there a way to, to see velocity of projects or who's being followed the most? Or is like, how can I, I, I guess what I'm looking for is if I want to find the next up and coming artist on Object, are there any tools that I could use to try and, and find a, a, you know, an artist that is gaining momentum, that is gaining followers before they actually kind of blow up and become the next John? Currently, there, there's nothing that you can do right now to, to, to find somebody like that. Uh, and and there's, there's a few reasons. I mean, one of them is obviously we, hadn't, we haven't had enough time yet to implement everything. And the other is we're really taking our time to think about, for example, the follower. That that's something we 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 do not show uh, on purpose because we don't think it serves 
that much of a, or it, it doesn't give you any pr- real information. We want to focus it more on the art right now. So, so when you when you see an artist uh, mint mint a piece, we we don't want you to check oh how many followers does he have, but we want to sort of make you more uh, uh, care about what they actually minted. Mm-hmm. That makes makes a lot of sense. But discoverability is a, a big topic, extremely hard to, to get right. And we have ideas. We are working on a few things to improve discovering both art and artists. And we will have to make a bunch of experiments and see what works, what doesn't. And, and uh, leveraging the, the, the follow data, again, can be extremely interesting to see who gained a lot of followers recently without even showing any number or what collections got the most interest. There are things we can do without uh, turning it into the, the dopamine rush of getting a new follower or the, the race to the piece with the most likes. So we will figure something out. Yeah. One of the things that that I do inside my private Proof Collective Discord is to pipe in data from really interesting collectors. So as we monitor the Ethereum blockchain and anytime any collector that we've added to a list is is purchased something or placed a bid on something, or we, we try and pipe that data in so that people can see it and then jump off and consume it. I haven't seen that on the Tezos side, any type of API to feed in sales into Discord. You know, I would love to see every time a John is sold or every, the, the more popular artists that you have on the platform. OpenSea's API is notorious for one, well, it's insanely popular. So you can't really blame them for it going down, I think, right now because they've just, they've had a lot of growth there. Do you, um, ever plan on offering or what's the current state? And I know you're so new in terms of just like under a year old. So, but I'd love to know the plans for the API and kind of what you, what you plan to, to release in terms of integrations. Is there anything on your roadmap there? Yeah, you can go to data.object.com and you will have a, a fully fledged GraphQL API to access everything. That's insane. How many engineers do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Currently, uh, not enough. Yeah, not enough, but currently about five, I think we are. I'm, I'm blown story. away. Honestly, you must have some really amazing talent because like the fact that you all have done this much in this short amount of time is just really impressive. Yeah, I think uh, we're very lucky to have Victor. <laughs> we're, we're still a tiny company and we are we hired uh, great talent and we will keep doing so. I, I think talent, it's uh, hard work and making the right choices. Um like taking good decisions in 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 the software side of things, so yeah, I, I think we are we're doing great on this front. Um, yeah, I'd love to just as a product designer and builder, I'd love to kind of go in a little bit deeper there. I'm curious. One of the things that over my career building products that I've always actually loved to do because it's very freeing in some sense is that. You, you you sit down and and as with all these get-togethers with with other colleagues, you come up with what the future should look like, right? And oftentimes that can be 20, 30 features deep. And then it's just being, I've always really loved being relentless and and really kind of cutting out a lot of and, and punting on a lot of things. Because for me, it's always been about what are the two to three things that are really important right now. And I have also enjoyed just shipping product. Like I'm, I'm not a fan of waiting, you know, six months to ship something or three months or even one month. It's like, how can we do this kind of continuous release schedule where we're, we're putting a new win up on the board and something new for the community every single week or every couple of weeks? What does product development look like for you all? How, you, how do you prioritize certain features and functionality? And then how often do you, do you ship new features? I will let Brian answer, but right before I wanted to say we are definitely on your side with this. We ship fast. We don't want to wait a long time before releasing anything. We want to experiment with things and, and ship fast. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I mean, it is all very chaotic still, the whole process. I mean, we, we get a lot of feedback from, from users through our Discord, through Twitter, and to sort of synthesize that into something we can work with is really hard. So we do have our roadmap object.com uh, site where you can you know ask for features or, or raise bugs so we work with that and then 
other than that, we 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 come together twice a week for to 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 discuss the roadmap and to discuss priorities, and they shift very quickly. So sometimes we have to call another meeting uh, a week later, but. But it has worked very well for our size so far. So, so, so we try to discuss priorities as often as needed, and then just work on those daily, basically. So, so we're also still small enough to be able to ship things daily. So that's great. So we can just push a new build to production, and and so far it's worked great. But I, I do think we will have to adjust the way we worked uh, work uh, uh, while we grow. I'm curious when you look at how a lot of the other big marketplaces out there are handling feature requests and the future functionality of what they're building. Some have started to embrace like super rare, for example, they've they've started to embrace kind of a little bit more hands off by the corporate entity and more community driven moving to some type of like governance slash DAO. Is there a world? What do you? What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you see this being as something that's it's too early to even think about that or talk about that? Is it something that is a model you'd eventually like to embrace? Are you kind of waiting to see? And would there ever be a governance token or anything associated with your project? Yeah, I mean, I think to to go that route, you really have to be inclined that when you have to sort of believe in in, in that the Web three. What do you say? Web3 spirit or Web3 way of doing things. And, and we definitely uh, have that. And we, we definitely would like to have a token uh, at some point. So we're working on that. We're working on figuring out what that could look like. But we're not rushing anything because we think that's a very important aspect of, of, of our journey. And we don't want to rush things and then not uh, deliver on, on like good tokenomics or not deliver a, a, a sensible token. So we're, we're taking our time, but it's definitely on the roadmap and it's definitely the way we want to move forward. So we, we do believe in the community aspect of things uh, and, and we're very excited about that. And, uh, you know, it's all still very experimental. I think that the whole DAO movement, community governance movement is, is a very experimental thing right now, but, it, but it's, it's super exciting and, and, and we're looking forward to, to what we can do with Object. Yeah, that's that's the one thing where you can't uh, ship fast, break things, and then fix them later. Mm. If we release a token, it, the tokenomics, we need to to nail them down and and, and get everything co- right before we launch a token. But it's definitely in the plans. Yeah, if there's ever a time to stop for a second and talk to legal counsel and figure out all those things, it's with launching a token, right? Like that's the time to really make sure you're doing the proper due diligence and getting everything um, correct. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious on just the Tezos blockchain side. The only thing that gives me pause about Tezos, I love that it's it's definitely, it's certainly a, a more green technology. Everything that I saw about the kind of indie vibes of the early HIN ecosystem was fantastic. It gave artists that couldn't afford to mint on other platforms a shot at having a place to do that. And I, I'm a huge collector. I have a, lot, a big chunk of my collection is, is on Tezos. The, the thing that has always just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way that I've been scared of is I just think about the future scalability of Tezos as a chain. And one of the things I've noticed is every time there is a major launch on Tezos, it seems that there is just like it's not that the chain falls over, but it just really comes to a screeching halt. I, I think about the Ziggurats launch and 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 some of these other bigger kind of open editions where they'll just go live for a certain number of hours. Do you all have any technical insight there as to really what's going on when that happens? And is there is there a a, a, a Tezos roadmap that that increases the throughput of the chain so that that hopefully won't be an issue in the future? Yeah, so regarding the insights, I let Timmy and and so for the Tezos part. The main difference with with Ethereum is obviously the size. So the number of users, the number of developers, companies building things on top of Tezos compared to Ethereum, and um, that means there's much less public infrastructure on Tezos. So what you witnessed when you had issues with the big drops or during big drops was mostly due to blockchain nodes. Um, serving the data to your wallet, being overwhelmed. And Mm. this is something people are working on, deploying more scalable nodes, all of that. And it will will 
kind of fix itself with with the growth of the Tezos ecosystem. When you say fix itself, do you mean just because there will be more, there are more nodes coming online every day, or is it because the existing nodes understand that they need to be more performant and will be upgrading their hardware? Both. The first big stress test for the Tezos blockchain itself was probably the Tezards. And at this Mm -hmm. point, many people realized, and when I say many people, it it means the the wallets and uh, the nodes, the the core developers of Tezos realized why it went wrong in a way. And, and it means they can plan ahead and, and uh, provision the infrastructure required for, for the future growth of the platform. Yeah, I think it's important to, to say that it, it's not really, you know, it's not an on-chain thing that went wrong. The, the, it's not the on-chain scalability that was an issue, but it was all the public infrastructure, which I don't really see as an issue. Like Victor mentioned, I think it will naturally grow as the chain becomes more popular. Can can you explain that a little bit? I'm not familiar with with what that means exactly. So you mean the on-chain technology in terms of like everything was written the way it should have been if the transaction was able to get through. But what was what was the the piece that that failed? Was it was it so it was individual nodes? Do you have a specific drop in mind? So the, the oh, cigarettes, are they all different? Well, so so for most of them, well, there, there's there's several aspects, right? So, so some of it is the the D apps not connecting with the wallets. That there's 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 actually quite a few layers to the problems mm-hmm. that the the people um, noticed, you know. But but in general, it's 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 the public infrastructure. It's not something inherent to the Tezos protocol that would somehow make it you know less scalable than than other chains. I I can explain this public infrastructure thing. So. Um... During the Tezard's drop, everybody goes to the Tezard website to mint a Tezard. And the Tezard website needs to connect to a node. And this node is a public node to which your transaction will be sent. If there's not enough load balancing in front of this node, or if there's no uh, load balancing by choosing different nodes for all the traffic that is coming in, then your transaction will not fail to be included in the blockchain, but it will fail to reach the node that should include it in the blockchain. And that's the kind of thing that need to be uh, fixed and provisioned at a bigger scale. And another thing is your wallet. Whenever you open your MetaMask wallet uh, on Ethereum or your Temple wallet, it will connect somewhere to fetch the latest data, all of that. And by default in Temple, there are a list of three to five public nodes that it's using. But still, if overnight the size of the temple user base doubles, then these nodes will not be adequately sized anymore. And that's what mm. is happening. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's, thank you for explaining that. Uh, because in some sense, it's, a, it's, kind of a, it's not a network infrastructure issue as much as it is a load balancing issue in selecting and a way to distribute the load around to other machines. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the kind of gateways that let you access the blockchain. The blockchain is running fine. Nobody is doing too many transactions for the blockchain. Uh, it still has room. But before that, you have, you have to uh, go through a gateway. And if, if this gateway fails because too many people are trying to uh, do something at the same time, then... Uh, you will have issues. And is that also the case when people try to go to a contract explorer and mint directly from the contract? Because I know with like the ziggurat strap, the, the site was just, I couldn't connect my wallet, right? And I was like, okay, too much load here. I get, based on what you just explained, I get that. It, it, I understand what was happening, what was failing. I then immediately went to the contract directly via one of the explorers and tried to mint directly from the contract. It's going to have the same issues though, right? It's, it's going to be pointing at a, a single resource that would fail. Exactly. And most probably pointing to the same issue. Oh, interesting. The same point, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So... How do you fix that though? How do you, is it like a round robin thing where you like, you just keep going around until you find one that's, that's available? Like, how is that, how do you think that is solved? So to fix it for yourself, for the next big drop, you can run your own RPC nodes and then you will not have any issues because you will be the, the only user of this node. That's also how we could solve this at the bigger scale. We need more people running bigger nodes everywhere, public RPC nodes. 
and let the user spread the load over all of these different nodes instead of only having a few ones not really distributed geographically. So, yeah. I see. Is that something that's part of the infrastructure that you all will be building on object or is that you, that's yeah. And how to, it is? Yeah, and together with a, with a baker as well because we want to let people delegate their Tezos to objects so that we can also participate a bit more in the Tezos ecosystem by voting on the Tezos proposals and all of that. But again, I will, I will let my colleagues talk more about the Tezos part. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we want to build infrastructure, uh, not just to make our site go quick, go quicker or go faster, but we want to build infrastructure for the whole ecosystem. So we're, we're working on both. So we're working on building nodes that can scale. And we're also working on, on building a baker where uh, users can, can delegate their funds to. And, and we want to give the NFT community on Tezos a voice on proposals through that. That's fantastic. Very cool. Switching topics to the integrations that you all might do down the road. One of the things that that everyone it seems to be kind of clamoring for is a way to display their NFTs outside of just their browser or their phone app and, and get them onto digital displays and different areas of the house or wherever it may be. Is, is that something where anyone has approached you yet? Do you know of any type of integrations that are happening so that we can move our media around to other places? I think on cyber, I mean, I'm not sure if that's what you're getting at. I guess more the yeah, exactly. physical be, side of things. It could be either metaverse integrations like on cyber or, or physical as well. I'd, l- I'd just love to hear like what you're hearing on from a kind of BD standpoint. Are there any kind of cool integrations coming soon? I, I don't think we have anything specific planned. Obviously, we're, you know, we're looking at, at different things, the, the displays. I mean, we're also looking at, you know, partnering with galleries, <laughs> if that can go into the same category, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, on cyber is one that's that's live right now, and I think th- that's one of the, the the most exciting integrations we've had so far because it, it allows you to you know show all of essentially it will it will allow you to show all your Tezos tokens on on cyber, which which I find really exciting. And that is yeah. an integration that leverages our, our API. Yeah, so I can go and fetch any of the the things that I've collected via your API, and then integrate that. I should just do some build some of my own as well. I mean, this, uh, I've been lacking a way to kind of display my Tezos. I've always I've got my Gallery.so, which is very popular for Ethereum, but I can't integrate any Tezos wallets there. Hopefully, they'll. I'll have to talk to that founder, and hopefully, that's coming soon. That'd be cool. Yeah. Great. Well. This has been fantastic. Uh, a couple things I wanted to close on. One, I'd love to hear you, you, you spoke about shipping product quickly. What do the next few months look like for you all from a product standpoint? I mean, we're currently focusing very much on infrastructure. So we're building a new indexer right now. Uh, we've already put in like a month's worth of effort into that. And we're preparing uh, to, to really build the core of, of what's to come. And one thing, and that's maybe not the next month or two, maybe it's a wee bit longer, but we're definitely looking into cross-chain functionality. So that's something we are we are working on right now, and we're, we're preparing sort of the core technology for that. You got to go into that a little bit. That sounds cool. What, what, what do you mean by that cross-chain functionality in terms of what type of, of features on the, on the site? I mean, we, we can't go into too much detail there yet, first of all, because we, want, we don't want to give away too much. And, and also we don't want to, uh, uh, we don't have everything defined yet, but but we definitely want to go that route and we, we want to make it possible and make it a very smooth user experience to, to, to have your tokens or to, 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 in, or to interact with, with object from, from, uh, from uh, multiple chains. So we're, uh, we don't have, you know, any chains in mind yet, but we're preparing the work to, to be as agnostic as possible um, and to be as open as possible to many different chains. Oh, very cool. So there, there is a, that's interesting. So there's a world in the future where object is, is, is kind of this universal tool for me to browse other, other chains out there. Uh, the Solana's the world, Ethereum's others that are doing interesting. Cause, cause there's, so there's new chains. That I'm sure you all hear about this probably more so than I do, but there's like, a, a lot of work going into new chains that are purpose built for NFTs. So, I I, I have a feeling that we're going to live in this world where there's going to be a lot of NFTs across a bunch of different chains, and 
it's going to be something where you kind of go where your favorite artist is. Like if there's, I know that there's certain artists like John, for example, with all the J's that I'm sure quite well, he's kind of Tezos for life. Like he's, he is, he mentioned a few things on Ethereum way back in the day and then said no more and just decided to stick with, with Tezos. And I will forever be buying his types of art, you know, his artworks on Tezos because of that. Yeah. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're not going to move into chains that are, you know, that have a really bad carbon footprint right away. We're, we're, we're taking our time there as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, going forward, it will be, or there will be services that sort of aggregate those NFTs across chains and that make it easy for you as a user trade and to, to interact with those NFTs over, over just the one platform. That's great. Fantastic. I'd love to know if if you all are open to sharing because if I were in your position, I'd have a hard time not just buying NFTs all day long because you're on your site looking at the cool stuff as it's coming in. Do you all collect personally? I mean, you must have some type of collection. I'm I'm curious. Are there are there certain artists or anyone that you could that you could highlight that you're drawn to? In terms of an artist that you should certainly know and you should collect from, I would say Victor. I mean, he he is an amazing artist. He hasn't had enough time though to to really work work on on his art but but uh, he's a great artist that's that's amazing victor what's your uh tez address marching square fantastic we've got to give you a plug there for that for sure i i would like to plug uh kim because he's built the most exciting thing i've seen uh in a while his monogrid series on hiketnung absolutely amazing awesome i'll check that out. wow i'm on your marching square this is amazing stuff it's beautiful Thanks. This is fantastic. Wow. I will definitely add you to my list of things to collect. This is, these are really beautiful. I mean, another one is uh, Guillaume Gournet. I think he, he really creates amazing art and he, he's the uh, author of, of the, the elephants. What are they called? Les éléphants terribles. Yes, and I think they're amazing. And they, and, and they, unfortunately, he released them uh, at a time when, when you know, the whole profile picture buzz has started to die off a little bit, but uh, they're absolutely fantastic. And if you get a chance, have a look at them. Yeah. Uh, would you happen to know uh, their Tez address? I guess yeah, it's, it's Guillaume Kona. Yeah. Might right, be hard we'll to that. spell. Yeah. If you, if you all can give me a link of that, I'll, I'll, we'll definitely put it in the show notes. I sent a link in the chat. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you all coming on the show. I'm, I'm a huge fan of everything that you've created and thanks for fighting the good fight. I mean, it's nice to have a platform that that you all have built that scales and and it actually doesn't crash and it's it provides a great utility to to everyone that's out there and and excited about this ecosystem so so thanks for creating object what thank you kevin for having us yeah it was a great conversation i can't imagine what this is going to look like a year from now so we'll have to have you come back on on the show and and tell us all the cool new functionality when when you build it out absolutely looking forward to it All right, that is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.